Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. If you still have your Bibles open, I want to read that verse one more time in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 1, in verse number 8. If you have one of those Bibles that has the red lettering representing the words of Christ, you'll see that these words are written in red. Amen? Just like the song that we just heard. Verse number 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There are four books in the Bible that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in it are recorded the works of Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. Many miracles were performed, many wonderful teachings and doctrines. We have parables that are recorded. We see what Jesus did. We see the compassion of Jesus Christ. We see his uh, humility. We see his suffering on the cross. We see his sacrifice Praise the Lord, though, we also see his resurrection, that we see that Jesus, he lives again, and and, uh, Jesus, he died, but he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. Before he ascended into heaven, he gave a few last words of instruction. He gave a few last parting words in person to his disciples before he left, and he went to heaven. And these are some of the words that he said here in verse number 8. And his words were regarding reaching the world with the gospel to see that people would be saved. That was his words. That ye shall be witnesses, that you will spread the word of the gospel out to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And really, when you see the beginning of Acts chapter number 1, and you go all the way through to the end of the Bible, you see that that's what the apostles did. That they took the instructions of Jesus Christ, and and they fulfilled it, and they went out, and they reached the world with the gospel. You see, of course, that they first began in Jerusalem, and on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2, that they preached, and people were saved, and people were added to the church, and discipled, and people were growing, and people were saved on a daily basis. And, and the church was growing, and then persecution came in, and they had to scatter, and, and they went to all different places. They went to Damascus, they went to Antioch, they went to many different places. And, and Saul, as he was persecuting, he was on the way to Damascus, Jesus Christ reached him and he was saved and he trusted the Lord as a savior and instead of persecuting Christians, he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and and through the end of the book of Acts, you see that he went to many different places risking his life in order to see that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was stoned and he was jailed and he was beaten, and he was run out of town, and he risked himself, and he risked his life in order that people would hear that Jesus saves. And when you see the the books that are written thereafter, the epistles, you see the book of Romans, you see that Paul, he says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God 
And we see that salvation is there. You see the books that are written thereafter. And time and time and time again, what you see is the mention that Jesus saves, that Jesus wants for people to be saved, and, and the mention of a testimony, and the mention of reaching out, and the mention that Jesus is coming again. And, and we don't have a lot of time. We need to reach people with the gospel. Just this morning, I was reading in 1 Timothy that God will have all men to be saved. We as Bible Baptist Church, we have a mission to reach people with the gospel. That is our mission. We have a calling this morning. We have a calling to see people to be saved. That is what Jesus is doing here in Acts chapter number 1. He's giving to the disciples their calling. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, we see the great commission there. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It's clear that soul winning is not a suggestion from God. It's a command. It's clear that soul winning is not just an optional part of Christian living. It is a core central part of the Christian life, a commandment that was given to every single believer. It is our duty and our responsibility to reach people with the news that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again so that people could have forgiveness of sins. That's our duty, amen? That is our responsibility. That is our mission as a church. We have a calling. I hope that you take your calling seriously. I hope that you, you take that upon yourself and say, this is my duty and my calling and my purpose as a believer. I also believe that we as a church, and I'm thankful for my church, I'm thankful for each and every one of you here. I think that we also have a compassion, though. That it's not just a duty that we're forced to do, but we have a real compassion to see that people will be saved. That we love people. Every single one of us, we know people that are lost that need to be saved. And we love them. And we want to see that they will be saved. Every single one of us, I'm sure we might have a name that would come to mind. Maybe you have a family member. You have a father or a mother that needs to be saved. You have a brother or sister that needs to be saved. You have a child that needs to be saved. You have a husband or wife that needs to be saved. Maybe you have a relative that needs to be saved. Maybe it's one of your friends. You went to high school together and, and you grew up together and you spent time together and you hung out together and you had some good times together, but you're saved and he is not or she is not. You have a burden for that person. You care for that person. You love that person. You want that person to be saved. Maybe it's a co-worker. You've been working together. Maybe you've been working together for a short time. You've, you've just begun a new job, or, or they just got hired at your company, and you, you've just known them for a little time. Maybe you've been working that, with them for many, many years. You've been working them for even decades, perhaps, and, and still they are not saved, and, but you care about them, and you love them, and you want to see that they would be saved. 
in soul winning, I know and you know and we know that we have a calling. We have a calling to reach people with the gospel. I think we all have a compassion to reach people with the gospel. This morning, though, I want to emphasize that if we are going to reach people with the gospel, we need the capability to do so. We need the power to be able to reach people and see that they would be saved. Because there's not many more frustrating things than knowing what we're supposed to do and wanting to do it, but being unable to do it. That's frustrating, isn't it? Maybe at your workplace, you've been given a task, you've been given a duty to do, and it's your job. That's what you're supposed to do, and you take your job seriously, and, and you want to accomplish that, and, and you have a desire. You want, to, you want to do a good job, and you want to fulfill your, your purpose there in the company, but maybe they didn't give you the right tool, or they didn't give you the right training, or they didn't give you the right equipment, or whatever the case might be. You, you know what you're supposed to do, and you want to do it, but you're incapable of doing it. That's frustrating. That's frustrating to have the responsibility, to have the care, but not have the ability to do it. That's why in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, here's what Jesus says about reaching the world with the gospel. Because he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. If he would have ended it there, then that would have been an easy mission. We'll be, we'll be witnesses. But he said, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's a big area to reach with the gospel. That's why he says at the beginning of verse number 8, but ye shall receive, what's the next word? Power. Ye shall receive power power. Reaching the lost in this world requires power. And I want to take a look this morning at three aspects of power needed for soul winning. If we are going to enlarge our tent of outreach to be able to shine as a light even deeper and greater and farther, we will need power. First of all, I see the place of power. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. There's a place of power. And there's a place without power. If we're going to receive the power, we got to go to the right place. Amen. I think every single one of us has this inherent understanding that power is accessible in certain places. I think every one of us has had a friend or a family member that would come over to our house or we would go over to somebody else's house and, and uh, you know instantly what they need when they come to you. In one hand, they have a cell phone. And on the other hand, they have a cable and a charger. And you know the very next question that's going to come out of their mouths, which is this. Do you have an outlet? Where's the outlet? What are they asking? Where's the power? I need power. My phone's about to die. This is a life or death situation. I need power. Where's the power? 
I have the cell phone, I have the cable, but I need the power. If you've ever been in an airport and you've been there for a little while, maybe you got there a little bit early and security was, you know, surprisingly quick and you got in there right away and you got, you got some time to, time to spare. Or maybe you have a layover and the layover's, you know, quite a bit of time and, and uh, you know, you're looking at your phone or you have your computer and, and uh, I've done this before, I'm sure, pretty much everyone here, if you've been in an airport, you've done the same thing, you've gone looking for an outlet right? For some reason, they are impossible to find in an airport. I don't know why. But you're walking through the airport, and you're holding your laptop in one hand, or you got your cell phone in one hand, and you're looking. And, and I don't know if you've seen these people, but sometimes you see these people that are sitting along the edge of the wall, right? They're not sitting in the seats. They're sitting along the wall, right? And uh, I've seen cases like that where I feel like, oh, man, I feel bad for these people. Like, Maybe, maybe they just, you know, their flight was delayed or their flight was canceled and they're just trying to catch a little bit of sleep and, you know, they're just trying to find a quiet place in a corner and, you know, they're laying there. You know, you kind of feel bad for those people sitting on the floor, you know, and then you get a little bit closer and then you get a little bit jealous of them because they have an outlet right next to them. You're like, I wish I had access to that outlet and I want to be in that place. And then you're, you're even sitting across from them waiting for them to leave so that you could take their place and plug in your things and... There's a place of power, and there's a place without power. And if we're going to get the power, we need to be in the right place. We need to go to the right place, and that place is God. God is the one with the power to reach the world with the gospel. And if we are going to reach the world with the gospel, we need to go to him to receive that power in order to be able to reach people. It was God's commission, and it is through his ability that we will be able to reach the world with the gospel. Because there's a lot of ideas out there, a lot of people who have some great charisma, a lot of people who have some, some leadership ability, and a lot of different methodology that's out there in the world. But if people are going to be saved, we need the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 4 says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. If there was anybody who could entice an individual into believing something, it would have been him. It would have been Paul. Paul was very eloquent. Paul was very educated. Paul was very smart. Paul was a leader. Paul was, he was charismatic. He had all of the, the characteristics that you might look, in an, look for in an individual. But when he was preaching the gospel, he said, I, I wasn't preaching it with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We need God's power this morning. You need God's power this morning. Earlier I mentioned that every single one of us, we have somebody that we could think of, that we love, that we want to be saved. If you are going to be able to reach that individual, you will need God's power. You will need God's capability, his strength, in order to be able to reach that person with the gospel. We see the place of power, which is God. Secondly, I see the path of power, 
There is a place of power, and there is a path of power. You know, in California, there's a lot of different power sources, right? I was looking this up earlier. In, in our state, 49% of the electricity comes from natural gas plants. So about half of the electricity that is generated that we use here in the state of California comes from natural gas. The other half comes from a lot of different places. It comes from hydro, right? You have a dam and you have some water behind it and, and it generates some electricity. You have some of that. Almost 10% comes from solar, right? We live in the sunny state of California, so we get a good percentage of our electricity that comes from the sun. Almost 10% comes from nuclear, nuclear power plants. About 7% comes from wind. About 6% comes from geothermal. I didn't even know that. But we have some geothermal. 3% is biomass. I don't even know what that is, but 3% of our power comes from there. There's a little bit from some other places. So we know where the power comes from. It comes from natural gas. It comes from the water coming down a river. It comes from solar. It comes from nuclear power plant. It comes from the wind. It comes from all of these different places. But how many of you have a nuclear power plant in your living room? Power your electricity. Right? None of us have that. How many of us have a hydro plant? It's right there. we got a river that's running through our home, and we just got a little dam that generates power for us to power our cell phones. I mean, we don't have any of these things in our homes, right? So the power is generated off-site. It's generated somewhere else, many miles away, sometimes even hundreds of miles away. And we got to get that power from that place to our home. And that's what all of these wires are hanging all up and down the streets, right? What is that? It's the connection between the power source and your life. To get the power from where it is, from where it is generated, to your home. There is a path. There is a wire. And God gives to us this path of power that we must follow if we are going to receive that power that we need for soul winning. And it starts with the scriptures. It starts with God's word. In verse number four, Acts chapter one, verse number four, if you still have your Bibles open, turn to verse number four. Verse number four says, And being assembled together with them, here is Jesus. He is assembling together with his disciples. So Peter is there. James and John would be there. Bartholomew would be there being assembled together with them, commanded them. Here is Jesus giving his word, giving the commandment. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Receiving the power of God begins with the scriptures, begins with us taking a look at God's word. Here is Jesus, and he's going to say in just a moment, you will receive power. But first, you need to wait. Stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Wait in the city. Stay there until you receive the power. We have a clear command from God on what we should do as soul winners, what we should do as believers, what we should do 
as a church. You know, and sometimes people want to make the Bible sound complicated. They want to make the Bible sound very archaic and, and hard to understand. You ever talk to people like that? Oh, I tried reading the Bible, but it, it, it's hard to understand. I don't really understand the Bible. Yeah, I tried to really get into it, and, and I don't really know what it's talking about, but the Bible's not really that complicated, is it? Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's pretty simple. Amen? It's hard to do, but it's simple. Forgiveness. That's pretty simple. Hey, we should be patient and long-suffering. That's simple. Serving one another. Hey, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. That's simple. Hey, singing to one another. Hey, that, that's simple. The Bible is simple. And it begins with the commands of God. If you want the power of God, you need to get into the word of God. You need to get into God's word. It begins with God's word, but it also continues in submission. In Acts chapter number 2, verse number 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. There's a connection between your obedience to God's word and the power that you have in your life. There is a connection between your obedience to the commands of God and the power that you will receive from God. We need to have purity in our lives. You need to be pure in your Christian walk. Because any sort of sin will cut your power source off. If you've ever had a hose that you've tried to string out and you're trying to water the lawn or you're trying to water some plants and you've got to string that, that hose out. You've all experienced that part where the hose gets kinked, right? And you're, you're just pulling the hose out and you think it's, you know, you just pull the hose out and you start watering the plants, you start watering the grass or whatever it is that you need, but you turn on the water and you get out there and there's no water coming out. And so you look behind you and you, you go down and you follow the trail until you find that kink. And then you gotta, you got to open up that kink, right? To let the power flow out. To let the water flow out, rather. That's what sin will do to your Christian life. That's what sin will do to the flow of power through you. Which is, it'll produce a kink. And it'll prevent the power from flowing out. And you know what? It doesn't matter where on the hose the kink appears, it's going to stop the flow of water, right? It doesn't matter if it happens at the beginning. It doesn't matter if it happens at the end. It doesn't matter if it happens in the middle. What happens if you put a kink into that hose? No water is going to flow out. So every single part of your Christian life matters. Because if you have sin in any part of your Christian life, guess what happens? You're going to get a kink. And the water's not going to flow. The power is not going to flow. You know, you might have some part of your hose that's hidden in the bushes, you know. You know, you got, a, you got your hose that's hooked up to the, to the faucet, to the, to the spout that comes out, and it's running through some bushes, and you can't really see it. It doesn't matter if anybody else sees it or not. If it's there, it's there, and it's going to prevent the flow of power. If we're going to receive the power of God, we need to begin with the Word of God. We need to get into the Word of God, and we need to obey the Word of God. When we obey the word of God, we receive the results of the spirit, the power of God. Verse number eight, but ye shall receive power. There's a promise that is there. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. 
When we have the presence of the Spirit, when we all get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. You receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved, amen? I'm glad that I received the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to the power of the Spirit, we're talking about a yielding, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about having control. We must yield ourselves to God to receive that power. When we have the presence of the Spirit, we receive the power of that Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 5 says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. When we receive that, well, not receive, but when we have that filling of the Spirit, we have the power that is needed to reach people with the gospel. Thirdly, though, I see that there is the possession of power. The possession of power, which means this, a power that reaches the masses first transforms the messenger. If you have God's power on your life, it's going to change you, amen? When you have God's power on you, it's going to change you first. And that's what you see in the lives of the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter number 2, you see that when they received the power of God, it changed them. We see that the disciples, that they were changed, and we see that those that were saved, that they were changed and they were transformed. And when we receive the, the Spirit of God at salvation, we must yield ourselves to it. When the, when the power flows through us, it will change us. And you see that it is a, an attracting kind of a transformation. We'll see in a moment that they began to speak with tongues. That's a, that's a miraculous transformation, a miracle that was done, and it, it drew people to find out, how is this possible? What is this thing? We see that they had a changed speech. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 1 says this, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is 50 days after the Passover. 50 days after that, they're all gathered together, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and to, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, they were dwelling, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. They were confused because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Now you have to imagine this amazing miracle that these men and women, they were gathered together and they were speaking to one another and speaking to one another about God and about his love and about his goodness. And, and what it says is that when it was noise abroad, hey, there's something going on with this group of people that they all gathered together and every single one of them heard them speak in his own language. So these disciples would speak, and whoever it was that was there, they would hear the words, not in the language that was spoken, but in the language that they understood, in their home native tongue. That's a miracle. 
And God changed the speech of these individuals. And, and of course, we know that the time of tongues has passed. We know that tongues is in history. It's in, in the Bible times. And 1 Corinthians speaks about the time of tongues will pass. And that is clear. But, but I see in a, in a very practical sense that the words of a, of a believer will be changed. They will begin to speak differently when they get saved and receive the power of God. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1, speaking of Saul, this is the, the number one enemy of the Christian believers, Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Here is Saul, and he's not just speaking, it's, he's breathing it out. It's like every single breath that he takes... He breathes out hatred for these people and condemnation and trying to kill and destroy them. And yet we know that the book of Romans was written by Paul. We know that Philippians was written by Paul. We know that Corinthians was written by Paul. And, and uh, his speech is a little bit different, amen? Oh, he had a different kind of a language. You know, when, when you read in the book of Acts that he went to the city of Philippi and he preached the gospel and, and he cast a demon out of a young woman and, and he got cast into prison. He was beaten and he was jailed and he was put into the stocks in the innermost part of the prison. And, and it's at midnight. It's late. He's hurting. He's been beaten. He's sore. And him and Silas are there. Well, we, can, we can't go to sleep. So what do they do? They start, they start singing. Victory in Jesus. Jesus says, Jesus says. They begin to sing. Boy, that's a different kind of a language, amen? From somebody who is just speaking out hatred and disgust and I'm going to kill those people. That's what Saul was saying too now. Glory to God, I have a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful love. Written in red. He loves me and he loves you and he died on the cross for you. What a wonderful transformation of language. You know, those that are saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. And when they yield themselves to him and the power begins to flow, their words begin to change. Their words begin to be different. Instead of critical words, now they have edifying words. Instead of hateful, discouraging speech, now they're encouraging and now they're joyful and now they're happy because they have peace with God. And they have eternal life and they have hope. There's a, there's a different language. Hey, does our speech reflect the kind of language of somebody who has a hope of heaven that has the power flowing through them? We see that, that they had a different kind of a speech. They had a changed speech. We also see that they had a collective service. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 42. In verse number 42, it says, and they continued. This is a group of people that just got saved. 3,000 of them were saved and added to the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I've mentioned this before, but that word fellowship has the idea of being a business partner. Fellow means to lay down a fee. I'm going to invest into this company or I'm going to invest into this project or I'm going to invest into this corporation. I'm going to invest into this idea. I, fellowship is investing together into the work of God. Fellowshipping together. And you see that there's a group of people that were fellowshipping. They were united together in service, serving one another and serving their Lord. 
But just a few hours before, they were known as individuals who were on the opposite side. They didn't believe the same things that they believed. They didn't do the same things that they did. And yet when they got saved and they got filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? They began to be united together. They began to be joined together. We as a church have a wonderful opportunity to show the world what real fellowship is. We as a church have an amazing opportunity to show the world what it really means to be united together. I mean, just look across this room. And we have people from all over the world, amen? People from all different cultures, all different backgrounds. I mean, many of you were not even born in this country. Many of you have a first language that is different from English. And so many different places, so many different backgrounds, so many different upbringings. And yet we are all here together. Why? Because Jesus saves. Because Jesus saves. Because we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is a unity that comes together when God's people, they get saved. The Holy Spirit dwells them. And they yield themselves together and the power begins to flow. There's a unity that begins to happen. The church is compared to a body. That's the illustration that God gives. That we are a body. You know, body parts are all very different, aren't they? Right? How much more different can you get between an eye and a hand? Right? And a hand and a lung. And a lung and my knees. Right? They're so different. You know? And if you were to ask every single individual body part, what's your solution to the matter? We come up with all different kinds of solutions, right? If you were to ask the eye, what's, what's the solution to this matter? Well, I think we should just observe the situation for a little bit longer, right? That's what the eye would say, because that's what the eye does, right? The eye says, well, let's just keep looking for a little bit more. The ear would say, well, let's just hear and see if there's something new, some new information out there. The hand would say, forget that, let's go do something. <laughs> the foot would say, well, maybe if we move positions just a little bit more, maybe it would be a, a, a little bit of a better situation, right? The knees would say, I just need to sit down for a little bit, right? You know, every single body part would come up with a different solution. Every body part would see things from a, a different perspective. Every body part had a different function. And yet when the body is under the control of the head, when our church is under the control of Jesus Christ, there's an amazing kind of synchronicity, a coordination that happens between all different sorts of various, diverse, different body parts that work together and can bring glory to God. Hey, you know when we as believers, that we submit ourselves to God's word, we begin to be closer together. Amen? Because when we submit ourselves to God, we get closer to God. And when we all get closer to God, we all get closer to each other. There's a unity that happens. They also had a compassionate selflessness. In verse number 44, it says, And all that believed were together and all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. You know, the amazing thing about the power of God is it can turn selfish people into selfless people. These were some giving people, weren't they? And they gave away some amazing, valuable things. We even see later on that Barnabas, he took land and he sold it and he gave it to the church. 
I mean, here in this area, we know about the value of land, don't we? It's valuable. Selling your land and giving it to the church, that's what Barnabas did. Man, wow, that's a, that's a selfless act. Not to say that any of us need to do that, but when God's power comes upon us, guess what? We get transformed into selfless people. Instead of thinking about what we can get out of the situation, we think about what we, can we give into this situation. Instead of thinking about what can my church do for me, we come thinking, hey, I have the power of God on my life. What can I do for the church? How can I serve another individual? How can I give to another individual? How can I make a difference in the life of, of, a, of, a, of a brother or sister in Christ? How can I make a difference in my church? How can I make a difference in my community? If the power of God is on your life, you're not thinking about what other people can do for you. You think, I got the power of God. I'm going to go do something for somebody else. Hey, and here's a group of people that when they got saved, the Holy Spirit came within them and they yielded themselves to him and their mindset totally changed from, well, how can I get advantage out of this? Who can give to me this? And, and what can I get out of this situation? They begin to think, you know what, how can I help this brother or sister? Hey, what's going on in your life? How are you doing? Hey, you need help with anything? You know, I've really appreciated those of you that have come to me over the last several weeks and just, just simply offered, is there anything that I can do for you? Hey, if you ever need anything, hey, just let me know. And, you know, I'd love to be able to help you. Hey, that's, that's great, and that's wonderful. And that's the kind of attitude that these Christians had, that they would come seeking to help in some kind of a way. Hey, we as a church, when we get filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to come and think, all right, how can I make the church service better? Amen? How can I make this church service better? Hey, you know what? I can sing. I'm going to sing out louder. Amen? Hey, we're going to sing a song in just a few moments. Hey, let's see what we can do about singing out louder and bringing praise to our God. Hey, when we think about, hey, how can I help the church service? Hey, maybe I just need to come a little bit earlier. I just need to be here on time so that when a guest comes in, that they have somebody to welcome them and greet them and show them around the church and, and uh, answer any questions and, and show them around and, and just be there for them. Hey, I want to be a help to this individual that, that's come in, that they're lost and it's first time here at the church and they don't know anybody and they don't know anything about where anything is here in the church, but I want to help, so I, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be ready and I'm going to be available and, and uh, I'm going to come and I, I'm going to seek to serve. I'm going to do something. I'm going to help my life connection leader. I'm going to help my, my pastor. I'm going to help, you know, uh, I have a kid that's in, the, that's in the kids' ministry. I'm going to go up to Mrs. Brooks and say, hey, Mrs. Brooks, is there anything I can do? I'd like to do something for this class. You've been doing so much for my kid and, and all of the kids here in the church. And I just want to be a blessing. I want to be a help. I want to do something. These people, when they received the Holy Spirit, and they yielded themselves to him, and the power came out, they were selfless people. Think about how can I serve? Lastly, what I see is that they had a cheerful spirit. Verse number 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Hey, they would, they would go over to each other's homes and have fellowship together and, and speak with one another and encourage one another. They did eat their meat with gladness. And singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. They were joyful people. 
They were happy. They were glad. They were rejoicing because they were saved. Because the power of God came through them and one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? It's joy. They had joy. You know, there's grumpy people all over the place, aren't there? You know, there's a lot of things that make people get angry. Right? Just drive down the road. There's a lot of reason to get angry. <laughs> Somebody didn't do something the way that you wanted them to at work. You walk home and your family member didn't do what you thought that they were going to do. and You get angry. How come you're doing that? How come you're saying that? Why didn't you do this? You know, there's, there's a lot of sad, depressed people all over the place. Everywhere. You know, we can paint a smile on our faces, but deep down, a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are upset. A lot of people are angry. But you know, when the power of God comes on your life, you can't help but be joyful. You can't help but be joyful. Praise the Lord. God is working through me. God wants to be involved in me. God's not done with me. Going back to Paul again, he was a, he was a man who breathed out threatenings and slaughter. You know, I don't know what he looked like, but I don't imagine that he smiled much. He probably had a constant frown and, and scowl on his face all the time. Where are those Christians? Are you a Christian? What about you? You look a little bit happy. Are you a Christian? You know, you go around hunting down the Christians, pounding down doors. Hey, I hear there are Christians in here. Come out. You know, can you imagine the, the anger and the vitriol and the hatred that he had in his heart? And that can you imagine after he got saved? How happy he was. He said, I was the chief of sinners, but now I'm saved. You know, I'm glad that he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Boy, he was so happy, and he was so joyful. He was a singing individual. That's why singing is so, such a vital part of Christian living. Because if you've got the joy in your heart, you can't just help but let it come out. You say, I'm not a great singer. Well, I'm not a great singer either. But sometimes you just can't help it, amen? You can't help it but start singing that at home, when you wake up, you're like, hey, God's giving me another day, and you just start singing to the Lord. You can't help it. When you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, you just can't help it but sing it. And you see this amazing transformation in the life of Paul from one who is angry, who is upset, who had a mission to destroy, to now all he wanted to do was to help the church. All he wanted to do was to please the Lord. All he wanted to do was, was to help people, and he was joyful, and he was happy, and he was singing. He was caring. We need power to reach people with the gospel. We need God's power, amen? This is not a mission that we can do on our own. This is not a mission that you can do in your own strength, in your own power, in your own ability. We need God's power. We need it from God. And God has given us a clear a path from the source to our lives, how we can get it. But never forget that when the power of God comes on your life, it will transform you. For God to work through you, he must work first in you. And that's the wonderful thing about it, which is 
when God's power comes in, he transforms us. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 19, of course, this is the beginning of his public ministry, and he's calling his disciples. He calls out to Peter and Andrew. He calls out to James and John. And he says, he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice the wording that Jesus gives. What is your part? You just follow me. You just hear what I say. and You just do what I do. You follow my words. You follow me. That's your part. And Jesus says, here's my part. I will make you. I will change you. I will transform you into a fisher of men. Again, this morning, we have a duty to reach people with the gospel. It's our calling as a church. Amen? That's our calling. That's our mission. That's our purpose. Why are we here together? Well, first of all, we're here to glorify God, but we are also called to reach the world with the gospel. And by the way, I'm, I'm grateful for a pastor who wants to reach the world with the gospel. You know, he just got back from a trip to Southeast Asia. And he's going to go down to Honduras in just a few weeks. And he's going down, why? To try to reach people with the gospel. He wants to invest some money into the lives of some individuals to be trained, to be able to preach, to be able to pastor, to be able to train up others as well, to, to reach people with the gospel. It's a great burden to see people to be saved. Our church has a great burden to see people to be saved. But if we're going to fulfill our calling, we need God's power. If you're going to reach your lost loved one, you need God's power. When you have God's power, you shall be witnesses. Let's get a hold of God's power today.